thankful to share the word with you tonight. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about fathers, as some of you may have anticipated. Totally could have flipped the script and just done a message directly to mothers today. Um, man, was I tempted. Um, and you know, you know why I, uh, I think about that is oftentimes when it comes to Mother's Day, I think I've said this to you guys before, a Mother's Day service, uh, we spend the majority of the time telling mothers how amazing they are how great they are, how much they do, and I think we should do all those things. And then uh, when Father's Day come around, we tell all of our dads how lousy a job they're doing and they need to get their lives together. Um, I've seen that almost every single Mother's and Father's Day. Um, so I try not to, to beat on my boys too bad here. Um, so uh, we're going to have a, we're gonna, I think we're going to have a great discussion. We're going to be talking about um, I'm trying to call, I don't even know how to say it, but I'm just going to say it, uh, uh, being a 93, a 93, um, and just to warn you, that's not going to make sense for quite a while into this sermon, okay? So y'all can try to figure it out um, as we go on this journey of 93. Um, uh, it's not like the the goal for your age. I think I've told you guys before I'm shooting for 112. So 93, I would still be in my prime. So I'm just saying um, I'm gonna be gonna be doing great. Um, and so I want to I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of being a a 93 father. Um, you're gonna be curious about where did he come up with that, but I will bring it. I think it will make sense by the time we get to the end. And if it doesn't make sense by the time we get to the end, who cares, right? We're all gonna be okay. We're gonna make it. We'll survive. It'll be great. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. This is gonna be a, a, a somewhat familiar passage. Um, it shouldn't necessarily uh, be something that you've never heard before, um, and uh, so so don't you know um, uh, don't expect some some crazy thing here. But uh, we're gonna start in Deuteronomy chapter six, and we're gonna read verses six through nine here. Um, and this is going to kind of set the stage for uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about when it comes to being a 93, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 6, it says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And we're going to stop there. There are, there are two things specifically. When I, when I read through that passage that has uh, really leapt out at me, and, and I'll tell you that the concept of what we're going to talk about, God really started uh, stirring it in my heart about a month ago, um, leading into Father's Day. Now, I'll tell you, uh, the Father's Day service isn't necessarily a, uh, a service that usually God, like, prepares me early for. Um, I don't know why that is. I'm just, um, you know, it's just, it's not typically been like that for me. And so um, I thought it was interesting that a month ago he began working on my heart about this message. So I believe that there is a word in here for us as fathers, for us as men 
but also for us as people. So I believe that as we're going to talk about this, I know a lot of this is going to be father-focused, perhaps, uh, but I believe that every single one of us should be uh, able to receive from this. So the first thing that I saw when I really got into the scripture is in verse 6. It says, in these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And as I read that, I began thinking about everything that was soon to come after that passage. It's important to understand the preface of what is supposed to happen. It should be on our heart. And as I thought about that, I thought about how we need to be devoted. We have got to be a devoted people. See, in Jeremiah, it talks about the word of God. It talks that the word is like a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. The power of the word of God. And many of us have found ourselves in a situation walking, feeling powerless, but it is because the word isn't on our heart. See, this passage here is, is um, the entire thing that comes after this. Um, after this in Deuteronomy, do you guys know what, what they start to list out after that? The Ten Commandments, right? So this was, this was uh, uh, coming into a time where all of a sudden they were going to have some direction about what to do and how to do it, right? The things that they were supposed to honor, the things that they weren't supposed to honor, and to get their lives in a way that would honor God, the Father. And so when I, when I read this myself, I began thinking about this. We have got to get this word on our heart. It's got to be on our hearts so strong, men. And I think, I, th I think about men, I think that most of us, and ladies, you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, once we set our mind on something, I don't care what that thing is, right? Once we set our mind on something, it's hard <laughs> to break that, right? Right? Is any ladies like, yeah? Okay, okay. So once we set our mind, and I know I'm definitely that way, Okay. Um, it, to the point of stupidity, right? Like stupid things. Like for me, I will get an idea on, in my mind, and it, I almost did it uh, thurs, uh, Thursday night. Uh, Chris uh, helped me. We went and got a, a huge bookshelf that we're going to put all these books down in the uh, uh, discipleship room. And when we got there, um, this bookshelf is literally 73, I mean, it's six feet tall, a little over six feet tall. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome, right? And then when we got it, as we started driving here, I started saying, hey, Chris, how are we going to get this in the church? Because I'm pretty sure, because not only is it six feet tall, six feet wide. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, um, I don't think it's going to slide down that basement steps like I was kind of imagining. And so then, then we start saying, okay, uh, we get here and we're like, okay, it definitely ain't going to work. And so we start figuring out round two, okay, what's next? So then I start looking at this door downstairs, okay? So I'm starting looking at it. I'm like, okay, how could we possibly do this here? Um, and we were about this close to trying to carry it down there. Um, but what I will tell you is there's no possible way it would have fit. And in my own life, there are a lot of times that I actually have to just try something so that I know it wouldn't have worked. It doesn't make any sense. Right? Like, the logical thing is I, I know this isn't going to work. I have an instinct that tells me it might work, and my instinct is almost always wrong when it comes to those things. 
And I'll tell you a story about that. So um, when I was a kid, and I don't know if I've told you guys this story, and I, I, I get worried because every time I tell you a story about something stupid I've done, you guys are thinking, why are we even listening to this guy? But I will air all of my dirty laundry here because that's all the good stories that I have. So um, so I was a kid, and uh, as, as you guys know, I, drew, I grew up right down the road here. I uh, loved, 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 loved to work. That was just like my jam. I loved to just go outside and do stuff. And uh, my best friend when I was growing up was a trailer that we had made from an old pop-up camper. Literally had this old pop-up camper. It was rotted out. It was nasty. And I asked my dad, I said, what are we going to do with it? And my dad said, you know what we should do? We should just blow the whole camper off of it. And we should just use the bottom as a trailer to do things around the yard. I was like, that's an awesome idea. And so as a kid, I'm not kidding, I would come home from school, I would grab the sledgehammer, and I would beat the snot out of this thing until I got to just my trailer. And I was like, yes! And I used this trailer for everything. Literally everything at this house. And so we had this, uh, we had this old uh, Murray lawnmower. Did anyone else have a Murray lawnmower? I tell you what, this thing was a tank. Because it was like nothing could stop it, and so I had a, I had a, a, a two-inch ball right uh, on the back of, of my my lawnmower, and I would hook this huge pop-up camper trailer to the back of it, and I would do all kinds of things with it, move logs, just whatever it was, right? Well, one time I parked the trailer in the very back of the property, okay, and it sat there for a little while, and it started to sink into the ground a little bit, okay. So I went to go get it the one day, and I hooked the mower up, and I hook it up to it, and I tried to go, and I can't, I literally, the mower cannot pull it out. Um, it's literally like dug in like this, and so I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? i got to find a solution here. And so I came up with a, a quick solution, which is going to sound like the most horrific idea you have ever thought of in your life, okay? But here, let me explain why I thought. What, what I'm looking at is I'm looking, if I have this trailer like this, I can almost pull it out by hand. But when I put it down on the mower, it's too low, and it's just keeping itself down. So I was like, if I could somehow keep the trailer up like this and pull it out, it would work great. So here's what I did. <laughs> I took a, um, a strap, a, a semi-truck strap that was about this thick, okay? Uh, you know, I mean, it's this thick, but it's about this wide, right? And I tied it to the front of the trailer, and I tied the other side of it, to my chest. <laughs> this is a horrible idea. Let me explain something to you. You should not do this. You should not do this. So <laughs> I tie it to my chest and I'm holding it. I'm holding it like this, okay? But I've got it angled up. I'm like, this shouldn't be bad. The problem with this lawnmower, um, you have automatic lawnmowers and you have manual lawnmowers. Manual lawnmowers don't stop so easily when you can't reach the brake pedal. So as soon as I start going, I put it in like gear three, and I let off of the brake pedal, and immediately I am being pulled out of the seat. <laughs> and I'm trying to reach the brake pedal. There's no reaching the brake pedal. The mower literally drives off <laughs> into the neighbor's yard, and I fall flat on my back. And what do I do? I immediately jump up and look around to see if anyone was watching me. I was in the clear. But the problem is, is my mind, the way it works, is once I have an idea, I have to try it to see if it's going to work or not. 
Okay, like I, I set my mind to it. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I am tying this trailer to my body, and I am pulling it out of these ruts, okay? Did it work? No, it did not work. I don't even know how. I think I ended up just waiting for it to dry and then pulled it out. I don't remember what happened, but uh, the mower was okay, and I was okay, um, except for some brain damage, I think. Um, but what I'll tell you in that is that as, as stubborn as we can be as men, Especially when it comes to things like this, right? Um, I find myself in a neat where I just have to try it. Like I know it won't work, um, and I'll just I just have to try, because if I don't, I'll, in my mind, I'll think I wonder if it would have worked. I could have done it, and I could have done it quicker than what I actually had to do. And and so for me, I have to try it. But the problem is, is we we fail at setting our minds on some of the most important things we need to set our minds on like the word of God. See, we find so many other things to set our mind to, so many other goals, so many other aspirations, so many things that we want to do, and they're not all bad things. I'm not saying that they're bad things that we set our mind to, but if we are setting our minds and setting our hearts on those things and never getting around to the word, listen, we can reason away an entire relationship with God very easily in this world. There are so many other things that will distract you, like a pop-up camper (laughs) trailer, that will keep you from doing this. And it's not that what you're doing could be a, it could be a great thing that you were doing. But if it is hindering an actual relationship with God and knowing the word and putting the word of God on your heart, it's not good. We need to set our minds on getting the word in our heart above all else. We're setting ourselves and our families up for failure when we try any other option. And the, the challenge that we find in this, in this effort to be devoted is it's tough. And the reason it's tough is because we put so many other things before it. And so it's hard to move those things because they're important things. They're, they're valuable things. But we can't do the rest of what Deuteronomy 6 says if we don't get the word into our own heart. We can't invest into our wife. We can't invest into our children until in we invest into our own relationship with Christ. Bethany, I'm going to make you come up here. Yeah, I meant to tell you this earlier, um, and I'm sorry, but you're going to have to come up here real quick. I, I, I thought about this. Um, I've been thinking, um, no, you can come, like, when I say come up here, I don't mean stand there. I mean come here, like right here. Uh, okay. I was thinking about this. We need a good way to measure what's on our heart, right? I think about that. Like, there's a lot of things. Now, this is my amazing, wonderful wife who I love dearly. <laughs> She is fantastic, and she challenges me in all the right ways, right? Um, she was like, I don't know what to say to that. Um, and and what, what I began thinking about is in our relationship and in our life, there are things that she does to help me get to the next level. There are things that she prepares me for. There are things that she uh, helps me watch out for. Um, there are things that she says, Tom, that's not going to fit there. There are times where she watches me ratchet strap a piece of furniture to my body to carry it in the house. And she says, what are you doing, you idiot? Um, She does all of those things. But here's what I want you to think about. 
in terms of a way to, to measure where my heart is, too many men are trying to live off of their spouse's relationship with God. Because they may be closer to him. They may pray to him. They may read his word more. And so what we do is we allow ourselves to cling like this because she's close to God. So I know if I really need something, I can go talk to her about it. I know that if something's going wrong, I can talk to her about it, and she will pray the snot out of it, right? I know that, right? But too many of us are living off of our wife's relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. See, when, when, when the way you measure this is if I'm letting go here and I'm over here at work, does my relationship or my conversations with God sound the same as if I'm over there? Do they, do the words that come out of my mouth have the same impact that they have when I'm over here? Because what am I saying when I'm not close to that? What am I saying? How am I behaving? Where am I going when I'm not next to the lady who I know prays? Next to the lady who I know seeks the Lord. What, what am I doing when I'm over here? And I believe that's how we begin to measure where our heart is. In the word, because what happens is when our relationship with him is only evident when we're close to them, we don't have the word on our heart. That's what we have to balance out because it's a lot easier for me to try to walk this out when she's right next to me. Because there's no, there, listen, she's, she'll give me more pressure than anyone under the sun will give me pressure, Right? That's her job. That's what she does. She will correct me when I say something that I shouldn't say. When I say something here on a Saturday night that I probably shouldn't say, she'll say to me afterwards, you probably shouldn't have said that. And I'll be like, you know what? You're right. That Actually, I probably shouldn't have said that. But when I'm away from her, that's when I start to understand what is on my heart. See, it's not enough to just be okay with my relationship with God when I'm close to her. What does your relationship with the Father look like when you're alone? When you're at work? When you're watching a game with your buddies? What does your relationship look like then? You can go sit down. Thank you. I read this statistic that more than 90% of American men believe in God. More than 90% believe in God, but only a little over 30% actually will attend a church service. The av- what that says is that the average man accepts the reality of Jesus Christ, but fails to see the value of being present with a body of believers. And I think there's a lot of reasons. I think we could, we could explore this for days, Right? We could talk about how they're just uninterested and that maybe the church um, maybe the church has failed in some way to reach out to men and to actually get them geared up. Let me tell you something. I am thankful for the men that we have in this church. Incredibly thankful. Especially when last Sunday we hung like 250 feet of drywall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, we, we did some work. Um, but you know, you know why we need to get the word on our heart, right? Because our heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It's literally what the word of God says. So you hear people all the time like, I'm just trying to follow my heart, man. 
you need to look at him and be like, dude, your heart is straight up wicked, brah. Don't follow your heart, right? We need to follow the Spirit. And the only way we follow the Spirit is we got to know what the Word says and where we're being. Listen, if we're only dependent on someone else to tell us what God's Word says, we won't be able to use His Word when we get over here by ourselves. We will be powerless and we will fall victim to so many other things because we don't know the Word. We need to be devoted, men. We need to be devoted to this word because we have the ability to change so much in the kingdom by actually walking this out. The second thing that really jumped out at me, in in verse 7 it says this, you shall teach them diligently. Now when he's talking about them, he's talking about the word that he's about to tell them. All the rules and the laws that are about to come out. He says, you shall teach them diligently. To your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and all these different things. The operative word when I read this is diligently. Diligently. Diligently means in a way that shows care in one's works or duties. We can't be intentional about teaching our children things like how to clean their room. <laughs> how to fix a flat tire, how to do well in sports and all all these other things and then leave the Jesus stuff to church because that's not right. See, if we aren't engaged in this process, they will not be engaged either. They may sit there and consume, but they will never get active. Let me tell you a story about my father. And uh, I, I can tell you that I think there are other people who will say the same. My father has some issues. And you're all like, can, I, can he say that? Yes. Because I'm also going to say all fathers have some issues, right? Saved fathers, unsaved fathers, pastor fathers. We've all got issues. But... One of the things that was interesting that I began thinking about, and, and, and honestly, when we talk about um, fathers in that way, um, I've shared with many of you that I love the song that Misty Edwards does, All Men Are Broken. It is literally one of my all-time favorite songs because it's talking about this cycle of brokenness in men that continues because guess what? My father was broken, and guess what? His father was broken, and his father was broken. We have these lev- this level of brokenness in us because we don't subject ourselves to the word and submit ourselves to the father. The Father, right? We compare him to what we knew on earth, and so we have a disrupted view of who the Father in heaven is. But let me, I want to tell you this story about my father. Um, when, I, when, when I came to my father where I needed help with something, I'll tell you a story, and, and Jimmy, if you, tell, if you tell anyone that I had a problem with a Ford vehicle, I will hug you in public. Um, on it. He wants a hug. Um, so you guys know that my first car was an amazing 1986 Ford Mustang LX four cylinder. Um, so this car, I get this car and I get it home and I, you know, I, man, I'm, I don't know, 14, I'm 15 years old, 15 years old. I'm so excited out of my mind. I just bought a car. 
Spent seven hundred dollars, my money I saved up, you know, and I and so I buy this car, and I get home, and the first thing I do, listen, back then I couldn't go online to see the manual for that car. Uh, we didn't have access to the internet like that, um, and they didn't have a manual in the glove box. So the only way to learn what everything does is you got to push all the buttons, right? You just sit in the car and you start pushing buttons and twisting knobs and all kinds of stuff. And there was this thing um, right here. Um, which was really, really cool that I could yank up and it sounded cool. Uh, and it was emergency brake, right? So I imagine myself, you know, going 900 miles an hour in my Ford Mustang LX and slamming that and, you know, doing some cool moves or whatever. So uh, to, to experience it, I, I pulled up on the emergency brake and uh, then I tried to get it down and it, 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 nothing was happening. Um, like it, it stayed, the e-brake stayed locked. And so I put it down and I was like, wait a minute. And the car w wasn't moving right. And I, and so I was like, oh man, I don't know what to do. So I went into my dad and, uh, uh my mom and dad, uh, really, I, I, I don't fully understand this. Um, as a kid, they lived in our, uh, in our kitchen, right? Brian will tell you, they, they, yeah, you guys know, they literally lived in the kitchen. We had kitchen table in the kitchen, small kitchen, not a big kitchen. And literally mom and dad sat there all the time. I can vaguely even remember a time that my mom and dad were just lounging in the living room. They always sat in the kitchen. I have no idea why, okay? I'm going to have to ask them about this. But so I, I come in from the back door, and I come into my dad, and I say, hey, um, um, I got a problem. I pull this e-brake, and I can't get it down. He's like, oh, the cable's probably just rusted. He's like, all you got to do is get up underneath the car, shake the cable, and it'll come loose. Oh, cool. I can do that. And so then I got under the car, and there is more than one cable to that car. Didn't realize that. Um, and I may have told you this before. So, so I, I crawl up under there, and I start shaking things on there, and, and uh, no, nothing's happening. I, I don't even know what I'm shaking, honestly. I'm just grabbing things and shaking them under the car. And I think at one point I literally grabbed the bottom of the car and just started pushing it. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and so I went in there, and I did that, and I went, no, no, no change. And so I went to Dad. Dad, I, I don't think I can see where it is. And so literally two or three times he just kept telling me what to do, and I would go out there, and I would try again, and I would fail, and I would come back in. Well, finally, I think he got tired of me coming in and asking him, and he said, oh, I'll come show you. So I crawl down underneath the car with him. I get down there, and I see it, and I'm like, that? You know, this thing that he grabs with there, and he shakes it, and boom, it does. It pops loose, okay? Now, my father... <laughs> If he would have continued to just tell me what I should do, I would have never gotten it right. Maybe a little bit. Maybe I would have finally figured out where the e-brake was. Maybe I would have finally got it. But the way that I learned was by him actually getting out there and showing me how to do it. I never from that moment again had to ask him, how do I do this? That's some rain. I never once again had to ask him, hey, how do I do that again? Because he actually took the, he took the time to come out and show me how to do it. The problem that we're finding is that we're telling our kids what they should do. But we're not showing them what they should do. Now, as messed up and flawed as my dad was, and I've got all kinds of great stories, but I'm not going to tell it online because he might, he might rat me out, okay? Um, what I will tell you is the one thing that, that he always did is he did put an emphasis on being at church. 
He did. There was a time that I remember we were, we were out of church, and we weren't in the church that we had been going to. And even on Sunday mornings, my mom would still bring out all of the materials, and she would do a Sunday school lesson with us kids, and then my dad would teach us something in the Word. Now, that was a short-lived experience, but they put an emphasis even on that. Now, were they perfect? No, they got all kinds of issues, okay? But what they did is they modeled the behaviors of you need to be there. We weren't a Sunday night family. We weren't a Wednesday night family, but we were a Sunday morning family. We would be in church on Sunday morning. And my father modeled that type of a behavior that helped me to see, okay, we should be doing this. See, what we do is we're not diligent enough to bring our children and to show our children this is how you live this out. We expect mom to maybe teach them because we've got something else we've got to do. We've, we've got all these responsibilities. We've got all these things that we've got to do. But what this scripture does when we talk about this in Deuteronomy is it maps a path to explain how every action, everything we do, everything we say should be positioned around this word that is on our heart. When you sit... When you walk, when you lay down, when you rise up, it says all of these things, but it's conditioned off of the word being in our heart. And what we can do too often is we look at our flaws and we find ourselves insignificant to carry out this mission. We see ourselves as not knowing enough, not being able enough, or whatever the line may be. And the enemy, what he wants to do to men is he wants to make sure that you feel those feelings because it will keep you from being diligent. Because what he'll do is he'll make you great at something else. And that's where you'll spend your time. And in, in the meantime, we're losing our families. We're losing our families. And what I will tell you is that as hard as it is, and I had a conversation with a friend last night, and, he, and, and we've talked about this a lot, the enemies, I think one of the, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is busyness. We've always got to solve someone else's problems. We've always got to do something else. And we feel that fatherly need to do that. But let me tell you, I don't care how bad that situation is. If I don't model a life for these kids right here that makes sure that they're going to make it into heaven, that they're going to see their father worship, that they're going to see their father be in church, that they're going to see their father read his word and apply it to his life, then I'm going to mess everything else up. It doesn't matter how, 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 well they, how well off they are, how, how many nice things they have. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I want them in eternity with me. That's what I want. Turn with me real quick to Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. This is a... Uh, um, This is an important passage, I believe. And, and you, many of you have heard this. this. This won't be foreign to you. But when I read this passage, I feel in my spirit that men, we have got to, we've got to step up to the, to the plate in, in a new way. Revelations 3, verses 15 through 17 say this. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot would rather that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
When I read this, guys, ladies, we need to make a choice. We need to stop toying with the idea of being devoted. We need to stop toying with the idea of being diligent. And we need to do the things of God. This word has mapped it out for us. This isn't the first time you've ever heard it. It's not the first crazy concept that you ever heard. We have to just embrace it. We have to make a decision that we are going to walk out this word. We are going to put the word on our heart, and it doesn't matter if she's beside me or if she's 100 miles from me. I am going to be a man who is going to honor the word of God, and I'm going to make sure that my children see and they're able to model that out because of my behaviors. Not because I told them you really should go to church. Not because I told them you should love Jesus, but because I love Jesus. And I show them the love of the Father and everything that I do. We have to do that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we get ready to close. Bringing all of this together, okay, I want to I come to why I'm saying we need to be a 93. Now, I'm telling you, the, the concept of saying we need to be a 93, I don't even know that it makes sense, but I wanted to use the number 93, and so that's just what we did, okay? You'll figure it out. About a month ago, I saw this, this statistic that blew my mind. Now, I, I, have, I have tried to research it as best as possible. I've seen uh, the same data shared a lot and a lot. Um, I can't necessarily get to the exact source to tell you how accurate this is, okay? I can't necessarily do that. But I think there's a lot of weight to this when I think about our own lives. I saw this statistic. If a child within a family is saved, 3.5% of the time, the rest of the family will be saved. If the wife of the family is saved first, the family will get saved 17% of the time. But if the husband is saved first, the family will be saved 93% of the time. As a church, and as men, I feel this sense of urgency for us to win men to Christ. Because there has been such a there has been such a disruption to the men in the church. And I've seen and I've heard amazing stories, and I think they're beautiful stories of how it was the ladies in the church that kept the church alive. It was the ladies in the church who pitched in to make sure that there was enough to pay the bills. It was the ladies in the church who put in the extra effort to do that. I haven't heard the story enough that it was the men in the church that changed it. That it was the, and I'm not saying this to say that our men aren't those men that do that. Okay, so don't, don't, uh, this isn't me beating on you with a mallet. Okay, it's not my jam. But what I'm saying is when we look at this, guys, we need to be the type of father the type of friend, the type of brother, the type of son that's going to win 93% of the time. Because if we, if we don't allow ourselves to walk this out and to apply this word, to be devoted and to be diligent, it won't happen. And I've seen too many fathers in brokenness because they're children and the lives that they're living. Now I will tell you this. 
My father, he's got his issues. I got my issues. We all got our issues. Brian's got a lot of issues, okay? <laughs> but what I think is interesting um, when I look at their life, they raised four boys, okay? And what I would tell you about that is all four of those boys love God. And they do, they do participate in the body of Christ. They don't just know God. They participate. Now, this isn't a, a, an opportunity for me to stand on a soapbox and tell you how great my parents are. Because um, there'll probably be a sermon in a couple of weeks. I'll tell you how lousy they are. Um, <laughs> luckily, they don't usually listen to the whole sermon, uh, <laughs> I think. Um, pray for me, saints. Uh, but what I will say, they modeled the behaviors, maybe not all the time, but they modeled a consistency that we learn from. And there is nothing more important than consistency when it comes to being a father or a mother. We talk all the time about a lack of consistency for us, right? Bethany will say, you're nicer to the girls. And I'll say, you're nicer to the boy. <laughs> and we go back and forth with this all the time. Like, well, we, why are we letting him do that when we didn't let them? And, you know, we have all those con- because consistency is an important part for us, right? We need consistency so that we can Make sure that they're experiencing it in such a way that they're learning, right? It doesn't make sense if they see brother get to do everything that sisters can't do, right? And so we try to model consistency. Well, men, we need to model consistency. We need to model consistency in our walk with God. But we need to do it first for us. Don't do it just because your child needs a touch from God. Don't do it just because your wife is encouraging you strongly. (laughs) Do it because there is a God who loves you. And the Father's love is richer than any love you could ever experience. And when when you tap into that and you experience it, you will want to spend time in it. Not just when she's next to you, but every single place that you go.